0: This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio
1: Network. Hey, welcome back to the program. Coming up in hour two, Mike McKenna from Daily Faceoff, um, NHL analyst, former NHL netminder. We've talked a lot about goaltenders this week. And by the way, if you're inclined and interested, the the video version of our 32 Thoughts interview with Jake Allen, now available at the uh, Sportsnet YouTube channel. Amongst other things, he builds the perfect goaltender. You'll find that amusing. Uh, So McKenna's coming up an hour or two and the Weekend Review get you all set for the weekend, namely Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Jamal Mayers joins me now from the NHL on Sportsnet. We'll uh, we'll start with Chicago, we'll go to St. Louis and we'll see where we end up by the end of this conversation. Jamal, how are you today, pal?
2: I'm doing great. How are
1: you? Uh, I'm doing good. So you would know Patrick Kane a lot better than I would. I want to get your sense of... Where you think his head is at? Because from the outside looking in, this kind of looks not too dissimilar to what we saw last year, post All Star, with Claude Giroux, who essentially said the Chuck Fletcher, the GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, look, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna waive my no trade to go anywhere, it's gonna be to Florida. That's the family decision. That's where I want to go. Otherwise, I'm riding it out here in Philadelphia. It kind of feels like the same thing with Pat Kane and the Blackhawks, but playing the role of the Florida Panthers for Pat Kane are the New York Rangers. Does it feel the same way to you, Jamal? It,
2: it does in some respects, but I think that what's going to have to happen is that because the organization isn't making this happen and doesn't appear to be actively working on a deal, um, in my opinion. It's going to have to come from Kaner. And so whether that comes or has come, I think we're getting closer to that point where he's wrapping his head around the fact that he's likely not going to finish his career uh, as a Blackhawk. And Mm -hmm. I feel like he got there mentally uh, a week and a half ago. And that's why you're seeing his play. And I think that, listen, Kaner listens to everything. He is
0: on top of
2: what's said about him. He knows what's out there. He is a hockey junkie. And, and so when the chatter was, hey, wait a second, how's his hip? Is there much hockey left? Is he the player he was before? He went out on a tear to basically say, are you kidding me? Uh, yes, I have a lot of hockey left. And, and here's proof of that. And he's done that in the last week and a half. Um, so I think he's getting closer to a decision. But you're right. He ultimately will probably only have a couple places that he will go to. Um, but my inclination is that he does move on.
1: Uh, I, I think a lot of us are of that mind, certainly as he's gone through this tear. And, you know, the Dallas Stars, the most recent victim um, of, uh, of, uh, of Patrick Kane. You know, he's, um, first of all, I mean, he's he's going to the Hall of Fame um i think that like i'm with you i I think that it was a hard one for Payne to or for kane to to wrap his head around the idea that he wasn't going to be in chicago to smash all the records uh rewrite the blackhawks you know history book and and record book um i still think obviously he's going to get you know the jersey retirement the statue all of that the accolades when we think of Patrick Kane, even if he wins the Stanley Cup with the New York Rangers this year, I don't think anyone's going to look back and go, oh, yeah, that's that noted Ranger Patrick Kane. He's always going to be a, a Chicago Blackhawk. Um, but give us a sense, like, from a player's point of view, and, like, you, listen, you rub shoulders with uh, with Patrick Kane and you know him a lot better uh, than I do. Like, he's a guy, to your point, who watches everything, who follows everything. He has a strong sense of hockey history. He has a strong sense of his place in the game. Like how difficult was it cuz this goes back to the summer when we first started to hear about this for Patrick Kane even to come to grips with the idea that he wasn't going to be a hawk for life.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, that's all he's known and he, you know, is it's it's very difficult. I mean, listen, I'm not even close to the player uh not even the same stratosphere, but I was with one organization for 12 years. I played for the Blues for 10 years and only only saw myself as a Blue. And then all of a sudden you're a year into a three-year deal and you get traded and your world get, get is turned upside down. Now, he also, because he's an historian, also takes a look around and looks at all the, all, all the amazing players that have played this game. No one thinks of Mike Medano as a Detroit Redman. Yeah, you know, like he, he, he's a, he's a Dallas star, and that's all you see him has. And every most players don't get to play for one organization. I think he's come to terms with that, in my opinion. Whether it's whether he doesn't want to be a part of uh, a rebuild, which could take five years. Um, I think that uh, it's been a difficult season for him mentally to to not be able to perform at the level he expects of himself. Um, He was an annoying teammate for a third and fourth line guy like me, because in morning skates I don't get to get off the ice. There's a pecking order that's unsaid.
0: Mm.
2: For practice, I don't get to get off the ice until Patrick. Like, what what business do I have to do to get off the ice before him? He would be on the ice for so long. It's like Uncle Kaner, get off the
0: ice. I can't get <laughs> off the ice. Can you get off
2: the ice. And so this is a guy who loves the game, who wants to be, be, get better every day. What was most amazing to me from him and, and Taser was that they were never full. You know, you, you, you think that when a guy wins three Stanley Cups and yeah. has all the success that he's had, that his belly would be full. He's, he's not satisfied. He wants to do more. He expects more of himself. And just as a fan of the game, and I consider him a friend, I... Uh, as hard as it is to imagine yourself somewhere else, I would like to see him compete in the playoffs and and see Showtime come out uh, once
1: again. Mm-hmm. How do you think? Like, let's get ahead of ourselves here. Let's let's you know uh, we'll see what happens with the waiver wire a little bit later on with the New York Rangers. We'll see what Chris Turi has is up his sleeve for um, by way of trades to open up cap space. But let's you know let's snuggle up here and say, okay, Patrick Kane becomes a member of the New York Rangers. Uh, we've seen teams load up before, and make no mistake about it. New York Rangers get Patrick Kane whew, front of the line. I know everyone's all insane about the Boston Bruins, and for good reason. And they just got better and more, you know, and tougher to play against yesterday with the the Capitals trade. But you have Patrick Kane in that lineup. There, um, he's not going into a situation where he is the man right away. Um, in Chicago, he was with New York. Whether it's you know Zabinajad or Panarin or Kreider, and now Tarasenko is in, and Truba on the back end, and Adam Fox and Igor Shosturkin. Like, is that a, is that a difficult adjustment? You think for elite level players that they'll go to a situation and they just have to be a hockey player? Like, they don't have to carry the weight of the entire organization on their back. Essentially, what I'm asking is, how do you think Kane mixes with that collection of superstars that are already there in New York? Well,
2: that's a very interesting question, because I do have a theory on it, although I don't know if it fits with Patrick Kane. Okay. And my theory is that when you add top six players, you're adding to a team that has aspirations, that has, a, has had already a tremendous amount of success so in some respects, you're disrupting that, and you could you could really ruffle the feathers. Let's say if you're the sixth guy in the top six, and now all of a sudden you're in the third line, you're saying, hey, wait a second, I'm having a career year, and now you bring in this guy. Like, what was wrong? We've, we've scored the third most goals in the in in, in our power plays clicking, and what are we doing now? We're going to run the power play through Patrick Kane. Like, why are we doing this? Our power play is unbelievable. So there's that piece that I think is difficult. That's why historically I feel like teams that have added bottom six type guys and at the bottom part of their lineup and strengthen it from the bottom up
0: mm-hmm.
2: have assimilated a little bit easier. Having said that, I think Kaner is a is a very unique player in that he's so smart. He understands the game so well. He he will assimilate and find a way, because that's what amazing great players do, to have success with whomever he's playing with and not take away from their game but he'll find a way to add to their game um both on the power play and 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 five on five so where does he fit in that group I'm not quite sure but I do know this right now they have Jimmy Vesey on the top line I believe with yep. Benajad and Crider uh I like Jimmy Vesey but uh, I'm sorry uh Patrick Haynes <laughs> Would we'll slide in there pretty nicely as a as a right winger.
1: Yeah, I like Jim, I like Jimmy VC too. Just not not Patrick Kane much. If you catch my. No, I think like it's an obvious. It's an easy one.
2: Exactly. So I mean, I think that it it makes it a little bit more difficult to move him when he's limiting the places that he's willing to go to. So I think the expectation for what they're going to get is less than. Um, perhaps you would see in a real open market type situation because he's dictating where he wants to go. And if he's only Mm going to go and the the market knows he's only willing to go to X and Y, then why would you overpay for that? So it it becomes even more challenging, but you certainly don't want to let a player of that caliber walk. Mm
0: -hmm. If you have
2: no intentions of signing him and he ends up leaving, that would be be a tough pill to swallow as well. So um, I think there are two or three places that he's willing to go um they're going to have to be contenders and i my hope honestly if i'm being frank is that the buffalo sabres were closer or were in because that could be an interesting place as well yep um but because i believe they have to hop over they're only a few points out but it's the fact that they have to hop over two teams just to get in in fact three teams um that makes it more unlikely but uh what a fun storyline
1: this is, oh, yeah. and I'm excited to see how it plays out. Let me—I uh, I don't disagree, and I think we've wondered if there was ever—you know—I I remember once upon a time. You remember the the era where the the big trade rumor was always, uh, oh, it's going to be Ryan Miller for Patrick Kane. Like that was like that rumor was out there for like no joke, Jamal. Like like two years easily, and Patrick Kane is going back home, and blah blah blah. blah. Anyway, um, let me ask you about right. this. let me ask you about the St. Louis Blues. You mentioned the Blues a couple of seconds ago. Um... That was a tough loss last night. And it's been a tough time right now recently for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Tarasenko and Mikola get traded. O'Reilly and Achari get traded. Uh, Ivan Barbashev is probably next. I think we're wondering about a couple of defensemen, um, whether it's Pareko, whether it's Krug, and maybe there's a surprise deal that Doug Armstrong has up his sleeve. Um, that's a tough two nothing lead to give up last night but they did against the vancouver canucks and vancouver jumps back into this game and elias peterson was just outstanding and vancouver ends up winning and craig berube didn't mince words afterwards and talked about passionless and need to play with grit and determination our guys aren't doing that mentioned you know they're all highly paid etc that's always rubbed me the wrong way but we'll see and then robert thomas came out this morning on his uh espn radio uh weekly espn radio hit and said, you know, nothing could be further from the truth, that, you know, players still care in this dressing room. When you look at what St. Louis is going through right now, like, how do you react? Like, how do you see this team? Like, there's still more news that's going to come out of St. Louis, either by way of who they let go of or who they bring in. But how do you view the Blues, your old team, right now, Jamal?
2: I think they're in a state of of flux. I think that when you lose a person of such high-quality character, and it's such a strong presence in your room that really changed, um, I, I think, overused word is culture, but changed the daily habits of players and people tried to emulate his preparation, his work ethic and his approach. Um, it, it's a huge, massive hole.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so what, happened, happened to, what has to happen immediately is it feels like there's a death, right? You leaves a guy like O'Reilly from your room what has to happen immediately is strong character people have to emotionally bring themselves to the rink every day to get the attention of everybody, to let them know that we have to stay engaged. We can't feel sorry for ourselves. We have a responsibility to uh, play at a certain standard and a certain level. And that, to me, has yet to happen. I think that's what is speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, I- because it, it's easy to, feel, to to exhale. Like, I watched the first game after he left. I believe it was the abs in the afternoon after he had got traded. And I said to my son, who was a 10-year-old, and I said, it looks like they, someone stole their puppy. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like they it, – and so that's a normal feeling. They're humans. They're going to feel upset and, like, feel like, oh, we're, our captain's gone. What's Our T-season has been sure. brutal. But then you got to get yourself out of it. Then you have a responsibility to be emotionally engaged and go overboard almost whoever those people are that have that within themselves to like bring that emotion and that passion to the game to get the attention of, of your teammates
1: X, X that has yet happen. hasn't happened yet we'll We'll see what happens here towards the rest of the way. We are heavy on time, Jamal thanks as always pal for uh, for stopping back and sharing your insight and expertise much much. Appreciated, Jamal Mayers from the uh, NHL on Sportsnet, former Hawk, former Blue as well. Uh, coming up in moments, Mike McKenna from Daily Faceoff. Week in Review. We got a hustle here up at the top of the hour. Come on back for more fun, Merrick Show, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else, the Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, so you can file this one under, this is my shocked face. Chicago Blackhawks in San Jose. Patrick Kane will not practice today. Is it bubble wrap time? Is it nerf time? Is it chill out time? Is it trade related reason time? For Patrick Kane, we're getting there. What what we are watching is what will happen in exactly one hour's time, and that is NHL waivers to see what the New York Rangers do and who they place on waivers and to see if Chris Drury can move some money by way of trade or waivers today to make this thing happen. But again, Patrick Kane, the Blackhawks announcing, will not practice today. All right, uh, on that we'll bring in Mike McKenna from Daily Faceoff, uh, NHL analyst, former NHL goaltender, Bon Vivant, man about town. What am I leaving off the business card here, Mike?
3: Uh, I'm I can weld. You can weld. I th stage I th stagecraft at St. Lawrence University, so I have a thing for theater. I don't know, dude. I got a I, I've been whole onion man. I got all kinds of things. <laughs> that's that's just one of the many. <laughs> yeah. So what? Okay. Let me before we get into I know
1: I was like just talk about hockey. It's a hockey show. Uh, where's the love of theater come from?
3: It's not even theater. It's just building things, man. So like I walked into school at St. Lawrence and I, and let me, I do enjoy theater. Okay. I'm not Jordan Martinick though. I'm not a thespian as he (laughs) is. He was phenomenal in the high school plays and, and middle school. But, um, for myself, I just. Always enjoyed working with my hands. My dad was very crafty. My dad would build his own bodywork for his race cars and all these things around the house. So, you know, and I used to play with sticks endlessly, Jeff, like Mm -hmm. you'd get out the files and the blowtorch. And so I learned how to work with wood and stuff. And then when I went to St. Lawrence University, I saw they had stagecraft offered as one of the courses. And I met Matt. This sounds like a lot of fun. And it's probably the most useful. I have a degree in economics, but that was probably the most useful course I ever took. I ended up TAing it. I mean, I learned carpentry, electrics, welding, lighting, budgeting, you name it, was from StageCraft. And I still use a lot of that today.
1: You know, you you mentioned sticks there a second ago. Um, You know, there have been various players. Like I know um, Rafi Torres, for example. Uh, Anyone that I ever talked to who played with Rafi amongst any of his stops will talk about how fanatical he was about his sticks like he had like you know the goggles on looked like the mad scientist you know the flamethrower like all of it like just getting his stick exactly exactly the way that he wanted and one of the things that i wonder about now we you know with sticks essentially and they're all personalized i get it but coming right from the factory is that art gone is that art the the art of like playing like, like spending an hour and a half with your sticks every day is that gone now mike
3: Comple- completely gone and it makes me sad you know, the last person that I played with that I can remember that really still got out, um, he got out the sandpaper and, and the files was Jason Spezza. <laughs> Spezza. You know, yes. Jason Spezza still, even till the very end with composite sticks when we were in Dallas together, he he just wanted to get that perfect balance on the stick, and he could only do that through his own hands. Um, you know, my own daughter who's a squirt now, she had a stick that the composites just don't break for her age, so I had to put an end plug in it and shave it down a little bit, and. People are looking at me like, you can do that? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) of course. I'm like, man, we used to, you know, we used to shape the blades and curve them and and mess with all that. And now it's become so optimized because, Mm. you know, when the Synergy stick from Easton became very popular, it more or less took it down to five curves. And every curve out there today is kind of uh, a morph from one of those five. And you can't even buy a heel curve anymore, Jeff. I had to just buy six custom sticks from Bauer. yeah. In a heel curve with my own pattern as a player because I can't get it in stores any longer. So it's Everyone, completely a dying art form, and it, I miss it, man.
1: Everybody, everybody loves it closer to the toe. Everybody loves the P twenty eight pattern. It's like P twenty. My, my kids are the same way. P twenty eight, Dad, gotta be P twenty eight. P P2, like it is. It is like they're all hockey stick zombies with P twenty eight.
3: Everybody has to have it. Yep, and we can all blame Adam Oates. Because he was the guy who started it with Stephen Stamkos and others that you have to go to this big mid-curve, big open-toe catch pucks and make it better. and um, It's definitely changed, he's, man. That's just the way it works. He's got an interesting
1: uh, – it's, it's funny because I was just having this conversation and got sent a picture of the latest. I swear we're going to talk about Patrick Kane in a second here, folks. Hang on. Um, I, I just got sent a picture because Oates has a, a, a new blade that he's, he's working with his guys, and I think it's a warrior stick, and – it's flat at the heel for taking hard backhand passes. Nice. And it's still got more, More, you're right, like the, 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 the curve starts sort of at the, at the midpoint of the blade. But it's really interesting how it almost looks like a straight blade around the heel. And the thinking mm-hmm. is, like I mentioned, taking hard passes uh, on your backhand, which as a skill now you have to do more so um, than ever before. Um, hey, Mike, how are you, pal? Good to hear your voice.
3: Again. Hey, I'm doing great. That was we could have gone forever there. You oh, know, I really no, got I, I got going there we're... because I listened to you <laughs> talk to Jake Allen along with fridge on the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast. Man, and it was amazing, and it kind of took me down an equipment rabbit hole because Jake and I have done that before together so many times so that was a fun listen he, yesterday thanks for yeah doing
1: that thanks he's he listen nothing to do with me and Elliot we just sort of blathered out a few questions and he took the ball and did the Heisman um I'm I'm fascinated with with Jake Allen like I'm I love having conversations with goalies that's why I like talking to you like I like talking to Woodley and Valaket like guys that really understand the position and the, like the way that I always phrase it is you got because I've always loved goaltending and I've always loved goaltenders. To me, it's the most unique position in all of sports. Maybe I'm saying that because as a kid I was a goalie and I'm just navel gazing. I don't know. But I love talking to goalies. And when I talk to you guys, it's like you you help me learn how to love something in a different way, like something that I already loved. You learn you you teach me how to love it in a different way. And that's what I like talking to Jake Allen about. Like, I love that conversation. I love his, you know, when we asked the Frankenstein monster question, you know, build the perfect, the perfect goaltender. But even just talking about equipment and, you know, when we brought up the helmet and he talked about the straps and how long the straps Mm -hmm. have been around and technology all the way. It got felt this way, whether it's the pegs for the goalposts. We've had the marsh pegs now for what, Mike, like 35 years, 40
3: years. Since 1991. Okay.
1: So we've had the marsh pegs since then and you look at the the straps that they have on on goalie masks right now, which tend to pop off, and we think of Hellebuck, and we think of the Ottinger situation pulling it off in that game against the Rangers, like, we have, we still have some areas of the game that we look at and say, you know what, this is still pretty primitive. By today's standards, mm-hmm. like, we, sh- we should have something better for the goalie mask. Yeah. We should have something better for the pegs and the nets. The, these are a couple of areas that you look at and say – uh, this is barely, you know, uh, a, a, a couple evolutions above cavemen.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about it to me, Jeff, is I think about even stick technology, you know, I'm running out of my summer stock. I don't have sticks any longer from when I played Oh. and I still pull out and they're player sticks. I got plenty of goalie sticks. I hardly yeah. use the goalie ones, but I play forward, you know, once or twice a week and I pulled one out from about a decade ago. It's a Riley Armstrong stick from oh, America, wow. New York together and his blade, just the, the weave of the carbon fiber from a 10-year-old stick, how primitive that was compared to today's carbon fiber yeah. with the big, wide, light weave. There's tensile strength is so high. They can bend in half. You think about how much technology has moved even in 10 years for yeah. the sticks. And we can't keep helmets on goalies' heads and come up with a system that keeps buckles it- from popping off that can make it work. It's it's crazy. But you know what, Jeff? I'm going to hold this, and I'm gonna, I'll wrap on it real quick, but... I truly believe the NHL needs to fund this themselves to do the R and D and then make it a spec part amongst all masks. They come up with the solution for the Mm -hmm. clips. It won't cost that much. You hire an engineering firm to do it and whatever they come up with, every mask maker has to use those clips. It's a simple solution. Mm But nobody's listening to me, Jeff. So here's my chance, and I'm going to take it and run with it. And if anything <laughs> good comes from it, I'll take all the royalties. All right.
1: Uh, I love it. That's right. Exactly. There's uh, there's no I in team, but there's two I's in invoice. I'm Mike McKenna from Daily Faceoff, and you can send your check, too. Um, I want to ask you about sitting players. Now, you've got to piece up a Daily Faceoff about it. Uh, we're going to see it here with Pat Kane. He's not practicing today. We think this thing is going to hit some type of conclusion maybe sooner than later, but we'll see. Um, I know that Vladislav Gavrikov is really not enjoying not playing. And I wonder now that Edmonton has gone through Pittsburgh and now they're in Columbus, they're playing the Blue Jackets tomorrow. You know, Gavrikov is a team that's been associated with Edmonton at various times. I wonder if we see a deal and Gavrikov can finally play again. Jacob Chikrin, trade-related reasons, et cetera. See it a lot. Last night we saw with you know, Orloff and Hathaway, and then he, they ended up getting dealt. Your thoughts on, on this one?
3: Doesn't this feel similar to when teams started to use lower body and upper body to describe injuries? It's become the buzzword now. Trade-related reasons. That's the phrase. Yeah. I hate that phrase, man. We're going to hold this guy out of the lineup because of trade-related reasons. Well, well you, you know the uh, interesting thing, if I can interject, the interesting
1: thing about that is, I mean, it is such a bland blanket for mm-hmm. anything. I, mean, I said this b- before to, to Elliot when, when Chick, the Arizona press release came out about Jacob Chiquin. I remember saying to Fridge, like, isn't this just maybe another way of saying, we're thinking about trading this player, but right now he's injured or is dinged up a little bit. To me, it's one of those
3: ways you throw a blanket on an injury announcement. You could easily do that. Yeah. I just, I think this flies in the face of competitive spirit. And and here's the thing. I think I'm screaming at the sky a bit because I don't see it changing. You know, there's no rules to prevent teams from sitting a player out for any reason. Coaches do it all the time. They healthy scratch somebody. Sure. Um, if you're trying to protect an asset, Hey, Yarmulkekekeleinen and Bill Armstrong, they are free to sit these players as they choose. I understand that. I just can't stand the optics of it. I think it's a, a disservice to the fans that are paying their money to see the best product on the ice. And I even think within the locker room, you're looking around and you want to win hockey games. I don't care how bad your team is supposed to be. Look at the run that Arizona just went on recently where they got points in nine out of 10 games. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're looking at this going, man, we're not going down without a fight. Even if the team wants us to lose every game Mm -hmm. and, and that's tough because I think that, you know, our fans want to see the best players out there. And I think the players just want to play. That's what you're paid to do. And you know, you're at the point now where is is there a declining return on a Vick because he hasn't played in two weeks? Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder if that's not even a little bit of real, right? Same with, with Chikrin. And, you know, I just think that if you're going to sit Chikrin this long after you've already had how many pressure points we went through the 2022 trade deadline, went through the 2022 draft, went through 2022 yep. free agency, the entire summer with no trade at this point, just move the player. <laughs> uh, you know what i and, I understand you may not get the most return you ever think, but it's like putting a house on the market and hoping somebody comes up to your price. Sometimes it's better to set the price a little bit lower and let that bidding war start because that's what this feels like now. Half of these teams are using these trade-related reasons just to try to get their last offers in. And I don't really appreciate that. If if you're going to sit somebody for trade-related reasons like Ottawa did with Tyler Mott and trade them that day, Jeff, I'm fine with it. That's fine with me but you can't let these guys sit on the bench or sit in the stands for the better part of a week, 10, 11, 12 days. To me, it just, it's the wrong, it's the spirit of the thing, man. It's the spirit of the thing, Reg. <laughs> I, I just don't agree with it.
1: Hey, uh, Dickie Dunn wrote this. Um, it's gotta be true. Uh, the thing that I wonder about just as a quick aside with check on here, here's what I wonder about at this point, because listen, facts in the environment are always changing and the marketplace is always changing. And we know that Bill Armstrong, has a certain price, which is, you know, essentially the equivalent of three first-round draft picks for Jacob Chikorin, and he's waiting for and has been waiting for, um, you know, the uh, the landscape to tilt his way and for that situation to arise so he can get his price. What I'm beginning to wonder about, too, is, and because it's not just the NHL that is changing, but also the Arizona Coyotes and their situation, you know, given that, that is, this is year one in in mullet right in the college rink what i'm beginning to wonder is here too now making this deal even harder perhaps than before i wonder if we're at a situation now where arizona just can't take money back like they just can't like i read craig morgan yesterday and javier gutierrez you know we know he's mentioned we're going to run this thing really lean know until we find out about the new rink and then get the new rink and then we'll actually try to be a proper nhl team here and stop stop with the uh with, with the charade i just wonder if you know the environment has changed the marketplace has changed and the coyotes have changed and now making it more difficult and maybe this was the la hang-up we believe it is they just can't take any money back like they're just mm-hmm. flat out refusing which is why i wonder about st louis with Chekrin. Because with all those picks and prospects, most notably a goaltender in Joel Hofer, they kind of have what Arizona wants. The ability to get something significant from Chikrin and not really pay much more than a dime.
3: Yeah, and think about how Arizona just took on Shea Weber's contract basically just to get to the salary floor for next year. You know, this is... um, this is pretty strange territory and and it just kind of shows how ramifications around the league in different ways can affect, like even with the Ottawa senators with a sale pending, you know, they're probably not at Liberty to go out and spend and be able to do that. But I mean, the second that Doug Armstrong and St. Louis acquired those second and third first round picks, I said to myself, that team is not going to get three draft picks out of this draft. Nope. They're going to get one. And I immediately thought whether it's Meyer or Chikrin, you're talking about a return for those types of players that each could benefit St. Louis. They could benefit either of those players could benefit any of those teams. Yeah. But I just thought, man, this seems ripe for it. And I think St. Louis could pull it off. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been real interesting to me. It's just that if they want to change that blue line to bring in Chikrin, boy, you got players with no trade clauses, right? You know, you're looking at Falk and Krug and Parego and Letty and, can you move one of those to help facilitate a little bit and make space? Who knows if that's the case. But it sure seems to me that Doug Armstrong's got a lot of capital here, man, for a team that really, if you're in St. Louis, people think the Blues are horrible. You know what? They've been okay all year. They've been up and down. They're mm-hmm. not that far off from being a pretty good team again. And oh, a I agree. Yeah, He could change that entire, the entire lineup there because they haven't been good enough defensively. You need somebody to get the puck out of your zone and in the zone. Mm-hmm. Chicken's one of the best in the entire NHL. Let me, um,
1: l- let me get back to your idea of or your you're, you're grousing about trade-related reasons because this is a new one. we got to come to grips with what this thing means and how we're going to swim in this water. Um, I'm not sure if you remember because you were playing at the time. Um, Chris Botta. So Chris Botta was a former communications director with the New York Islanders. And <laughs> Chris put out, for my money, maybe the greatest injury press release I ever saw. Like at one point, I remember I printed out the email and I had it hung up in my office for years. I don't know what I did with it. And unfortunately, this press release has been, you know, lost to history. But they were trying to cover up one of Rick DiPietro's injuries. I think it might have been a knee or something. Hip, back, who knows. Take your pick. And instead of being anywhere specific about it, Chris just said in the press release, uh, Rick DiPietro will not play today due to general body soreness <laughs> to which i said anyone over the age of 35 in north america wakes up with general body soreness whether you're an athlete or not um and it's sort of in that spirit that i see trade related reasons um it gives the impression that you're giving some information when really you might just be hiding something here
3: what i do like about it is at least it's transparent it's a lot different than general body soreness when somebody's got a broken elbow (laughs) or something you know what i mean this guy's strained and oblique and we're gonna say general body soreness technically true
1: i remember i called chris after and he's and he answered the phone not with like hello jeff how are you he answered the phone with hey how do you like that one i'm like chris that's a
3: picasso man (laughs) that's a picasso i mean that's like a that's a full-on, like, <laughs> cloak of secrecy type of thing to put out, I feel. But, totally. But, no, I mean, on one hand, it's a thing. I do actually appreciate the transparency. Yeah, we are going to trade this guy. It's just trade him, man. Don't put him in hockey purgatory. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like, I I really don't mind it if a trade goes down within a day or two. Like, the Mott deal with Ottawa when he got sent to the Rangers. yeah. He got pulled, you know, he just got sent, told to go home in the morning and he was traded later, whatever. Mm -hmm. I would have appreciated that when I got traded, I would have liked to have had that happen rather than having to take a morning skate with the Ottawa senators and then be in the lineup for the Vancouver Canucks the next day or Mm -hmm. that night I meet even, you know, I, I would have liked that, but I just, I don't like seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 days, put a player on the sidelines. I just think it flies in the face of what we should be doing as a league.
1: Let me ask you about a couple of goaltenders. Uh, I remember having a conversation uh, with someone at Lehigh in the AHL um, at the beginning of the season, and we were talking about the team. and This person said to me, "We really think we stole one in the fifth round in Sammy Urson." And I said, "Really?" said We really think this guy is going to be a good NHLer for a long time. Like, he's, he's that good. And I'm like, philly has got Carter Hart, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this person said to me, um, we really feel like we have one. From what you've seen, I know it's been a tough year, like a really, really tough year with the Philadelphia Flyers. Today was another tough press conference for John Tortorella. But um, your thoughts on Sammy Urson so far?
3: He's really impressed me, and I think that he's given Philadelphia – not just strength and goal, but assets and goal that they can use into the future. You know, mm-hmm. and this is the thing, Jeff, that even if you have a goalie like Carter Hart that you know is going to be a franchise goalie for years to come, you still, it behooves you as an organization to de- continue to develop goaltenders for trade reasons, you know, for your number two reasons in case your number one's not available. Like, this totally. isn't 93 anymore where the Devils didn't de- develop a goalie for 15 years with Marty in the net. They just yep. didn't. Aria Honan was their best prospect, and nothing came of it for years. You know wow. what I mean? You can't do that anymore. So if you're looking at like from that perspective, it's good biz. But what I really like is that Urson's come in, and he's 6-0. Oh, you look at that right off the bat. But you have to look at how he's doing it. Mm-hmm. His mechanics are rock solid, right? And he mirrors Hart in a lot of ways that I think they play a similar game. They're both pretty controlled. They both track the puck well. And and for me, Jeff, I think Harts would have been been one of the top five goalies in the league this year. Okay, I don't care what his normal save percentage is. Yeah. When you watch those games, when you look at advanced numbers, he's been outstanding for that team. So I'm not surprised by it with Urson, but you also have to look at the delta between him and other goalies in the organization. That's always my metric. Okay, Felix Sandstrom struggled a bit this year to start the year, but he also yep. played the back end of every back to back. Torts never let him start the first game of a back to back series, Jeff. So. I felt like he got railroaded a little bit, but the bottom line is that Erson's come in to kind of a similar situation and he's grabbed hold of it, been successful, and largely mirrored or even bettered everything that Hart's done. He's only going to get better, and they've got a great goalie coach in Kim Dillabaugh there. I'm not surprised by it.
1: You know, I I, kind of look at it not unlike when, listen, Jose Theodore was the phenom in Montreal, and then they used a super high draft pick to take Carey Price. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of said, what are you doing? And it's like, look, you yeah. have a chance, regardless of the position, you have a chance to grab him, even though you might think that there's a positional redundancy, you do it. You know, there's a, there's a great Chris Pronger story out there about that. And it was uh, Pronger's draft, so that would have been the Alexander Dague draft, where he went first overall to Ottawa. Now, Chris Pronger did end up going second overall, um, but that's because, you know, Brian Burke traded the pick, and Hartford got it, and he drafted his guy, Chris Pronger. But at that point, the San Jose Sharks had the pick. And the Pronger story is essentially Pronger was talking to one of the managers of San Jose, maybe even the general manager, uh, before the draft. And the manager said, look, like, just so you know, uh, we're not going to take you at second overall And Pronger. said, so why not? And he said, well, we already have you know, Magnus Ragnarsson. We already have Mike Rathje. We already have enough really big defensemen. And the moral of the story is you turned down one of the greatest defensemen of all time because you had Ragnarsson and Rathje. So mm-hmm. no, matter, no matter what you think you have or know you have in the organization, if you have a chance to add to it, you do it. And that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of one of the lessons of the salary cap too, that if you can increase, like if you can improve your team even by an inch or a half an inch, or a quarter of an inch, you have to do it. You absolutely Mm -hmm. have to do it, regardless of position, regardless of salary, you have to do it.
3: And I remember, you know, LA for a lot of years, they were a goalie factory. And even not just goalies that they developed in-house, but goalies that there were reclamation projects for them that they were able to turn into tangible assets. And that starts with whether it's Martin Jones to Ben Scrivens, on down the list to even Darcy Kemper and Peter Budai and Jack Campbell. They got something out of those Nashville yeah. Predators, much in the same way. You know, they developed, uh, whether it was, you know, Ellis and Mason and others who were capital for that club, the Capitals with Varlamov and then even, you know, Vanacek and others that came through there, Mrazek, Um, There's just a lot there. Mrazic isn't the right one. I'm, it's another Czech goaltender that I can't think of right now that came through. Michael um, Neuverth Michael Neuvert. the one that came Neuvert, through. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you have to do that and take the best. And I remember talking to somebody once even about the Eric Johnson draft with the St. Louis Blues, and it was, you know, do you really need a D? And his his answer was, you take the best player available. You know, and at that time, at that draft, they felt it was Eric Johnson, and he ended up going first overall.
1: Had that great role juniors. That just put him, like, completely mm-hmm. over the top in that, uh, in, in that draft. Um, okay, let me ask you about, like – I'm very much of the mind that if there's a team out there looking for a goaltender that can help them right now, whether you want depth, whether you want maybe if you're, you know, a little bit not sure about the health, if you're, you know, if you're one of your goaltenders has um, the hospital bracelet problem that one of, for me, at least recently, the last few months, safest bets is Jonas Corposalo. And it's a game in, game out now. You're really starting to see that, you know, we talk about Bubble Demko. Bubble corposalo was real good too, specifically against Toronto, where he just stuck it to them. Uh, I've been banging this train. I know that la- even, even last year, as much as we focused on the conversations between Columbus and Edmonton about Corpusalo, I think the ask there was a second and a fourth, and Edmonton wasn't going to pay it. Um, very quietly, the Florida Panthers were looking at Corpasalo with some insurance last year as well. Um, he looks like he's fully clear of the hip injury, looks like he's in great health, playing fantastic. Um, is he, as far as goalie rentals go at trade deadline, around the top of your list? Are there any other goalies you think we should uh, keep our eyeballs on as the uh, the calendar winds down to March the 3rd?
3: Well, I think, it, more than anything, it's a pretty soft goalie market this year. You know, you're not looking at mega number ones that are suddenly available, I think. And so what's your batting order, I guess? I'm not sure there's as much of an order as there's probably two goaltenders that could potentially be available that lead that for me, and it's Cam Talbot and Jonas Mm Corposalo. If you're going beyond that, I think Thomas Grice would be in that mix out of St. Louis who could be a nice safety valve for a team. Yep, Um, As you mentioned before, Joel Hofer in St. Louis... (sighs) He's on a one way contract the next two seasons. He's done everything he can. In the American League, he was an all star. He scored a goal. He's, his numbers <laughs> are great. He's ready for the NHL. Yes. So, I mean, if there's a, somebody that's going to take on Grice, I'd see it. But for me, Corpusello is a really interesting pick on this because to me, you've got Merzlikens and Tarasov in Columbus. They're both on one ways next year. I can't yeah. see anybody taking on Merzlikens' contract. No. So, Corpuscello, I'll uh, ban out. You get what you can. I'll give you this scenario. I would actually love to see the Ottawa Senators trade Cam Talbot, get what they can out of him. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not sure whether Talbot goes in to be a number one with somebody or whether he goes in to be insurance. Same way with Corpusalo if we're talking about a playoff team. But I would love to see Talbot be dealt, and I'd love to see Corpusalo go to, to Ottawa and sign a two- or three-year deal to give some time for Matt Sogard to get ready, for mm. Kevin Mandelisi to get ready. And buy time. And if they aren't ready, you still may have Corpusalo or Forsberg well into the future. Mm-hmm. I think you could do way worse than having a Forsberg Corpusalo combo while your team is still growing. And I think it would be an affordable uh, cap hit as well because Corpusalo's I mean, Jeff, what do you think he's going to come in at next year? It's not probably not going to be over three or no. four million dollars like mm, a lot of guys. That's, so,
1: that's even that even that sounds like a lot. I mean, he's on the one. And I think now. so too. He's on the one. Right, now. because.
3: Listen, last year, last summer, Corpusalo, who knew what he had? He'd been injured. He had hip surgery. He was yep. coming off two very down seasons, straight-up bad seasons, where he chased the puck all over the place, into the white ice, out of his crease. I still do have some of those same concerns about his game. Um, I don't think he rotates particularly well and stays within his post, but his natural athleticism, his reads, they're all there. I think for me, he's right there with Talbot for somebody you can lean on as a 1B. And especially in playoffs, and like you said, Jeff, it's his mm-hmm. experience. He showed massive in the playoffs that bubble year um, before the team eventually bowed out. So I'd have him right there. Like I say, I think it's a soft market, but to me, Korpisal is ripe for a team that could pick him up and also even maybe potentially sign him uh, into the next two or three seasons if they like what they see the rest of this year.
1: Let me ask you, as, as we finish up here, let me ask you about hips specifically um you know there are i'm gonna go like out the door and around the block for this analogy but stick with me mike you know there are some uh runway models who will have a rib removed to make themselves look leaner when it comes to goaltenders in the nhl you know someone mentioned this to me not too long ago about russian goalies specifically he said it's like they don't have hips like the way that they're able to move their bodies. Like, do he said flat out, do Russian goalies have even have hips? When you look at whether it's Sorokin or Shishterkin or Vasilevsky, do you wonder if they even have hips, Mike?
3: sometimes i do i think you can throw kachetkov into that mix as well who's who's back in the american hockey league but it's going to factor i think really big for the carolina in so, the future yep. um, if not this year i could even see it this year Same. given the health concerns with anderson and branta so you just never know with them um, in any case you know the, the hip flexibility and the mobility of those russian goaltenders is real and i'm not sure if it's just from the training that they've had going up that focus it focuses on so many different dynamic functions. It's not all just goaltending, you know, it's (laughs) gymnastics types of things away from, I remember being teammates with Bobrovsky and talking about that. Some of the movements he would do in the off season were very, you know, very, um, you know, kind of unique compared to what we would all do. His was outside of the box thinking. Hmm. And, you know, I, it's not as much the hips that are into it. It's just that, you know, those guys skate so well. And they move with their body in unison so well. Their hands are together. Their upper body rotates with their lower body. And I think that facilitates a lot of the hip mobility they have is that their upper body isn't fighting their lower body, Jeff. And that lets you play a little bit wider when you need to. You don't want to be wide all the time. But when it calls for it, those Russian goalies have it. And they also have incredible body control and core strength, a lot of them. And I think that's the key Mm. to it. When you talk about Vassie, Sorokin, Shostyrkin, Kochetkov – Those four, they're never on their stomach. They're never on their butt. They're always in control. And and that foundation to their game is what makes it so strong. It goes from skating and core strength. And for the most part, the Russian goalies really excel in both those areas.
1: So you're now picking up the three that they've had their hips removed? You're not going along with you that Well, to along you know, they could one. be
3: like, maybe we don't know. Um, I mean, Thatcher Demko had both of his hips done when he was in college at Boston College. Mm-hmm. You know, that he had hip, he had this classic for a goalie, square peg in a round hole. It leads to hip problems, but you can have that fixed through surgery eventually. Right, It's a big recovery. But look around the league, Jeff. It's probably half the goalies. It feels like in the NHL have had something with their hips. At this I
1: was going to say, like, listen in baseball, we see this with Tommy John, and sometimes we see you mm-hmm. know pitching prospects have it. You know, preemptively. Like, I know this is like, we've heard these stories before, right? I know I am going to get it eventually. I'd rather do it now, early to get it over with. So I am not in the. I am not in the. I am not in the middle of my career when oh, I have to have Tommy John surgery
3: now. Yeah. Well, you know, thankfully for me, this body that I have was built like a tank. Apparently I never had problems with it. I feel pretty good today. Um, but I know that I am in what at least seems like the minority. Um, but you know what, you talk to any old goalie, we all have the goalie wobble, right? It's like race, race car drivers, old Indy car drivers. Yeah. They used to have the driver's hutch, right? They all had, they crashed, they destroyed their ankles, their knees. They'd all have a limp to them, a racer's limp. Yeah. Goalies have kind of the goalie wobble where we just we feel it, we wake up, it hurts, but we just get through our day. Just get through the day. The uh, the, the curse of the
1: goaltender. Uh, Mike, you're the finest. Thanks, as always, for stopping by, pal. You be good. My pleasure. Anytime, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You can read Mike at Daily Faceoff, uh, NHL analyst, former NHL goaltender. He's, like, flat out one of the smartest guys in hockey, period, folks. Uh, do yourself a favor. Check out uh, Mike McKenna's stuff. Russian goalies have hips. Of all the dumb things that I've said on this show, like, seriously, and that's a lot. Uh, All right, we can review time. Matty Marchese coming in for a couple of moments here. I do want to park some time because we're not going to do the random player of the day. I want to read a couple of things that I got in response specifically to one hockey player who we featured um, as part of the random player of the day. That's coming up here in a couple of moments. Merrick Show continues. You are listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on 360 or Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment.
0: The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Bourne. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet
1: Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Here's some news. Oh, we're talking to Mike McKenna. Pittsburgh Penguins tweeting out Coach Sullivan on Kasperi Kapanen's absence from practice. Quote, Hexi informed me before practice that he was held out because he's going to go on waivers here this afternoon. When a team doesn't live up to expectations, change is inevitable. That's part of it. Cappy is a really talented player to a certain extent. It's all on us because we didn't find a way to maximize his potential. So Kasperi Kapanen going on waivers this afternoon. Uh, after the disappointing loss last night against the Edmonton Oilers, where really Matt Marchese, they got pounded. They really got pounded, and the fans took it out on the general manager. It's, it's I'm always curious to find. A, I'm always curious to see where the fans end up venting, like who the target is. Like we're in Toronto, and oh, in, that's and an easy one. Always oh, defenseman, always or Kyle Dubas or Kyle Dubas. But you don't really hear the the, the chance. Like we had the the fire Hextall chance yesterday in Pittsburgh, like, mm-hmm. and that was loud. I mean, Leafs fans have gone after coaches. When we think of Ron Wilson. When we think of Randy Carlisle. Um, but, you know, the Penguins fans, like Leafs fans used to always go after defensemen. Penguins fans last night went after Ron Hextall hard. Mm-hmm. They think that is the problem, this team that he's put together. When really, re-signed Malkin, re-signed Rust. Yeah. All the guys that you wanted Tang, to keep. Yeah. Everyone that everyone wanted to keep, they're still there. I think, the, I think part of the frustration was, or I think part of the frustration is, honestly, I think that Islanders game was huge. And the fact that they got pushed around the way that they did and there was no response for the Penguins. Yeah. I think Penguins fans have seen that for a long, long, long time. Again, I'm not advocating for three-and-a-half-hour games to return, but it seems as if this is a fan base that's waiting for someone to do something. Like when, Again, when you see Ross Johnson in Evgeny Malkin's face like that,
4: yeah, not good, not good. No Colby point.
1: Armstrong and Mike Rupp on lines one and two.
4: <laughs> um, we have other news. Cole Perfetti saw that bad injury. Eight weeks minimum, eight weeks. Uh, I thought he was going to win the Calder this year. He needed to do some work
1: in the second half, but. But here's he's the thing: a, he's but a, he doesn't play any power play. I time. was going to say, like, you look at Cole Perfetti's numbers; like, his numbers are awesome. And then you look at, oh yeah, the guy can't get a sniff on the power play either. Yeah. Meanwhile, Matt Baneers is playing power play for Seattle, so his points are juiced. I get it; it's fine. But I was kind of secretly thinking that mm. Cole Perfetti for rookie. Yeah, I think I think Owen Power is going to
4: get a lot more votes than people had anticipated early on in the year. He's been really good. Yep, Really, really good. And I'm we know about, how, how uh, hard that position is to play. How about that game last night? Did you watch many, much of that Buffalo-Tampa game? I watched a little bit of it. and watched the OT? Of all the people to score. <laughs> a, and, like, <laughs> it's not even that he scored the goal. Like, like Hily- Hily- for those that don't know. About, yeah. It's not that he scored the goal. It's that he scored a shorthanded breakaway goal. And who do you get the puck off of?
1: Steven Stamkos. It's wild, eh? <laughs> like, sometimes hockey does crazy things. I to always us. say, like, at the end of the day, it's your job to stay alive. If you just stay alive, just say one more day, just one more day, just one more, you'll see some crazy stuff. Yeah. Did you ever think that you'd be sitting here talking about how? Ilya Labushkin and I know he fell, but Ilya Labushkin would take the puck away from Steven Stamkos. He, he strong-armed him. He he made him fall over for a shorthanded breakaway goal
4: and in overtime night. in Tampa against Andre Vasilevsky. And how about that Thompson guy? Kind of good. Just a little bit. Another hat trick. That's four this year. Just a little bit. You know what? What do you think the record is for most hat tricks by a Saber in a season? I'm gonna guess it's either Danny Gare or Gilbert Perreault. I think it's Alexander McGillivray. seven and uh Richard Martin Richard seven, Martin was the other one. French. 7 7 hat tricks in a season. French connection baby. Wow. And we think 4 is a lot right now. It is a lot. But 7. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know the game has changed. Um let's get to let's get to some okay. comments on the week. So, do you have a lot cuz I can get to one quick one. Oh, do a quick one. Then I want to talk okay. about you have eating. Okay. So uh, we got this email from Terry Churchill. And one of the players that we profiled this week was goalie, Doug Favell. Yeah. And so uh, Terry emails in and said, played golf with him. Fantastic stories. Told me when he signed his four or five year deal with the, with Philadelphia from Toronto, he figured he was quote unquote set for life. All the money <laughs> he'd ever need in his life. think it was 750 grand over four or five years. Yeah. He then follows up with, guess what I do now, Terry? I sell used cars. <laughs> Better in person, but he is a gem. So gracious, super likable
1: guy. Uh, thank you very much for that. Terry. That's awesome. So a guy by the name of Darren Butterworth got in touch with me after we did the uh, random player of the day with Juha Viding. Yep. The late um, Swedish star who played his junior hockey in Brandon, mm-hmm. um, played with the New York Rangers briefly, played with the Los Angeles Kings, um, played in the WHA, et cetera. Um, so uh Darren sends me a note. All right, and he says he's gonna get in touch with Yuha Viding's sons uh, because the family was a surprise, pleasantly so that we talked about Juha on the show. Um and by the way, like he was Yuha Viding was one of those players that, you know, if he didn't let what happened off the ice affect how he played on the ice, he was good, man. Mm-hmm. And he was Fast and uh, had a conversation with Bill Mickelson. I'm going to get there in a couple of seconds. Bill played with him in Brandon, and he's like he showed up from Sweden to play junior hockey in incredible shape, and nobody could catch him. He scored seventy goals that year. Nobody could catch him. He was on a great line. Bill Fairburn was on that line. Uh, That was a really really good line with uh, with Brandon. Fairburn's called the Dog. Was his nickname? That's a great nickname. The Dog, Maddie. Anyway, so uh, Darren sends me this message. I received a message back from Juha's oldest son, Jim Viding. Jim was born around 67 or so, has the longest memory of Juha's NHL career. Here's what he said. Because we talked about the gloves. Yeah, the red gloves. The red gloves. If you look at the Canada Cup 1976, Juha Viding comes out as one of the starters after the standing ovation that went on and on and on for Borea Salming and what a great memory that was. He said, "Uh, I just listened to it. I also thought the gloves might be from Cleveland – but he went back to LA after the Canada Cup, and I think the trade was in January of '77. Not sure of the story behind those gloves, but I don't recall him ever wearing them in the NHL. Goes on. One of the coolest experiences, this is from Yuha's second oldest son, Matt. One of the coolest experiences I had was getting to hold and read the letter that Glenn Sather sent Yuha when the Oilers were entering the NHL from the WHA. Glenn wrote that they had been trying in vain to reach Yuha as he'd been traded from the Oilers to the Indianapolis Racers, I believe. That's true. Bill Goldsworthy was going the other way. Uh, Apparently, Yuha ignored Glenn's attempts to reach him by phone because he knew he was being (laughs) traded. The letter said something to the effect of, quote, We are trading you as we are entering the NHL and we are going with a youth movement. I would laugh at that knowing after the fact how successful that youth movement worked out for Glenn and the Oilers. Yuha's oldest son... Was also this is a funny story. Was also old enough to ride in a car with Wayne Gretzky. Going to the Indianapolis days, I'm guessing. As you uh, may know, Wayne looked up to Uha, and Walter used to tell Wayne to model his skating after U-Ha. I had never heard that before. No, that is a total new one on me. Like that's on. I don't know if you keep like sheets. Uh, I keep like documents for if I ever ever interview this player. Make Ask sure you about r- this. it's probably have, a good idea. Actually. I keep like I have page upon page. What did you say,
4: Jeff? This this kind of stuff kept you single for a long time. Oh yeah, it's it's
1: <laughs> a miracle. Bless you, Claire. Uh, it kept me it kept me single for a long time. Um, Wayne looked up to you Walter used to always tell Wayne to model his skating after UHaul. During this particular car ride, Jim got sick and threw up all over Wayne. We used to bug Jim about it, but truthfully, <laughs> I was pretty jealous. We used to play a lot of street hockey in the Vedings backyard. Oh, that's amazing. I was lucky enough to play with a signed Marcel Dion stick. The wooden blade was so badly worn out that it was almost a sliver. I was going to say, it's one of the, I
4: just saw a video where it says, there's always that one kid who has the really thin blade when you go out to play road hockey. That was
1: the kid. But it was signed by Marcel Dion. It's a Marcel Dion <laughs> signed stick. God, what that would be worth! It's like the Ray Scampanello story of getting autographed sticks all through your career, dropping them off at your parents' house in Guelph at the end of every year, going back at the end of the career, uh-huh. asking mom where the sticks are, and she says they're holding up the tomatoes. Those Italians, honestly, I'm Italian. Relax.
4: <laughs> going to say it. All those
1: Italians. I that That's was you. that was my
4: backyard. Was like it? it was just like, and I think it was. I think as the sticks became. When they started to go
1: to composite, it was a lot
4: better because they were a lot sturdier than the wood sticks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I always said about Scampi's, like, uh, like his, his mom, like, that family had, like, the most expensive oh, know, yeah. pasta sauce of all time. When 100%. You how much, like, the Esposito and uh, Gretzky and Lemieux and Lefleur, and i we'll mention Marcel Dion, I'm sure he would have had Little Beaver in there, too. Uh, how expensive those sticks would have been, all cut down for the tomatoes. Like, I love tomatoes, too, but... Yeah, not that much. I'm a big fa- I'm a big fan of homemade tomato sauce but mm-mm. one more note on Yuha uh did well in investments that's good the family still own apartment buildings in Los Angeles but Susan that was his wife that he met in Brandon mm-hmm. uh spends a lot of time with Jim that's his son, in Clear Lake Manitoba I texted Leah Hextall about that cuz she's from there and the Hextalls would go there she says beautiful um and they have cottages that they rent out so the Vedings are doing well it's nice to hear that because as we know
4: Yuha Left us way too soon. At 37. The age of 37. 37. And it's just, I love that. I hate giving you credit, as you know, but I love I that this has brought, this segment has brought so many different people that we would never have spoken to yeah. into the fold here and given us stories about because for as big as the hockey world is, it's pretty small too.
1: So do I have time for a quick story? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in that spirit, mm-hmm. okay. So, sitting around watching the games and uh, texting people about Juha Vieting, talked to one of his uh, former teammates with the L.A. Kings, and was watching the Calgary game, and Megan Mickelson was on, mm-hmm. on the panel. And I'm like, I think her dad played with him in Brandon and went to HockeyDB, checked it out for sure. So I sent Mick a text, said, hey, uh, can I get your dad's phone number? Cause I'd like to talk to him about the Brandon days. That night, I think I spent about an hour and a half with Bill Mickelson. Now, Bill played in the NHL with a number of teams, the Islanders, the Washington Capitals, et cetera. Um, spent about an hour and a half talking to him about UHA, about Brandon Weekings, um, the NHL. He told me this hilarious story. Um, you, you're familiar with the story of how Bill Torrey guaranteed that Dennis Podfan was going to become an Islander. Yes. You know this one? Yeah. So for those that don't know, this is in the era where the WHA was bidding against contracts and trying to get NHL players, and there was a concern that Dennis Podfan wasn't going to join the NHL when he was drafted, but rather a team from the WHA who selected him, I think it was Edmonton, was going to be able to pay more and bid more. So Bill Torrey, the genius, the bow tie, goes into action, okay, and trades Terry Crisp from the New York Islanders to the Philadelphia Flyers in exchange for Jean Podfan, Mm -hmm. Dennis Podfan's brother. But here's the part of the story that I didn't know. And the whole idea was, hey, Dennis, it's your chance to come and play with your brother, etc. And Terry Crisp went on to win Stanley Cups with the Philadelphia Flyers, so it worked out great for Crispy. There's one part of the story that I'd never heard before. And that is, I was talking to Bill, and we were telling the story. And first of all, he said, yeah, you know what? Dennis showed up, and he took my job. Like, I was the odd man out on that blue line when Dennis came. Uh, But you know how Jean Podfan used to refer to himself? And how he would introduce himself to people with the Islanders. It's gotta be something like the reason Denny Potfan's here. It's
4: gotta be something like that.
1: He used to call himself the bait. <laughs> the bait. <laughs> Hi, I'm John Potfan, the bait. I love that. <laughs> For Bill Tory, trying to make sure
4: that uh, that Dennis Potfan. Hey, no uh, know, know your here. as The Rock used to say, know your role and shut your mouth. Oh,
1: that's so good. That's
4: great. We- yeah. And so it it's done. Like, I've talked to people that I wouldn't necessarily have spoken to on a regular, I do not say regular basis, but, like, when I wanted to know more about Gilbert Perot, talk talked to Scotty Bowman. Oh. That is a treat. Yep. And he was so open, and he's like, yeah, call me, whatever. Scotty's great. So you talk to people that you get stories from. Like, when I wanted to know more about Timmy Kerr, I, I, texted, I texted our buddy Richie Sutter. Oh yeah, I played with, with the Flyers. And Richie says, listen, he says I have some stories. He says, but let me get you in touch with Ronnie cuz Ronnie roomed with him and they were really good friends. So I got to
1: talk to Ronnie Sutter. So you it just talked to Tim Kerr's chiropractor. I'm still honestly. surprised that that guy can stand upright.
4: So he so Tim Kerr because I because I didn't get to watch him like I was really young when he retired. Even 2 or 3 when he retired. Thanks for making me feel old. No man. problem. Um he's my new favorite player that Probably would have gotten to the Hall of Fame had he had a longer career, like his numbers are ridiculous. I think he was oh yeah, I think he was something like 11th all time in goals per game, mm-hmm. and his playoff numbers are I think he was half a goal a game
1: it''s, it's incredible. here's the thing though if you if you if you take a ruler okay and measure the entire distance of the goals that he scored might be about six feet. yeah, like he was a guy, he lived in the crease. Like that guy took so much abuse. Like Dave Andertruck was the same way. Yeah. If you measured the length that all of his goals took to go on the net, it might only be a dozen feet. Yeah. Tim Kerr was that guy too. Man, he used to get pounded. Man, some of those games against the Rangers, those blue liners would just abuse and abuse Tim Kerr. The best. Like, yeah. Watching him get cross-checked in the spine, game after game, yeah. and just stand there and take it. Yeah.
4: The best thing that oh. the best thing that that I was told, Ronnie Sutter told me, said. For a guy that had he didn't have a great like he didn't have a hard shot. He had a really quick release. He said, couldn't take a slap shot. Could not take a slap shot. Really? He eh? said guys tried to work with him in practice, could not take a slap <laughs> shot. This is an NHLer we're talking about here. Oh yeah. Who scored over 300 goals in oh, yeah. you know 600 games That's and awesome. just such a shame that his career ended shortly and the personal issues that he had to deal with with his wife and I think he bought the Pensacola
1: Ice Pilots after didn't he didn't he buy one of those ECHL teams yeah i think he while. did now he's a real estate agent i think he sold it to Mario Forgioni i think you selling the Ice Dogs we're really
4: going deep oh this is
1: the the the, the,
4: the outer limits with Jeff Merrick in interesting to about a population of two. But they keep coming back with the emails.
1: All right. Uh, thank you, Manny Marchese. Have a great weekend. Your big show tomorrow. What big time? show. Plug it, plug it, plug 10 it. 10 o'clock Eastern. Sportsnet taking, today. Taking, me your, solo. Taking your kids to hockey. Listen. Uh, thanks to Matt. Thanks to Lance. Thanks to Jen. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Fridge, Jamal, Mike McKenna as well. Hockey night tomorrow. Merrick show back Monday, noon Eastern. Have a great weekend.